1: The Bible is very clear that sexual relations is part of God-ordained marriage and is not just for the purpose of procreation. It is a gift that he has given you to be one with your spouse, to be close to your spouse, to enjoy physically your spouse. And when it comes to sex, it is not just a privilege. It's not just for pleasure. Paul is saying it is a
2: responsibility. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen.
1: Within marriage... Sex is a means of worshiping and glorifying God, as sure as prayer or attending church. But only when done the way that God desires and God allows. So what is that? Well, let's find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-6. through 6. Would you turn there with me? Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. In these verses, we will be finding three guiding principles for marital intimacy. This applies to whether you are married or not. This applies to you if you're single. This applies to you if you're single and have no desire to be married. It is the Word of God. So let's let the Word of God speak to all of us. The first guiding principle for marital intimacy is the monogamy precept. Let's start with verse 1. In any of the other popular English versions, aside from the NAS, you have a colon, and in the ESV quotes, for the second part of the verse, the phrase that says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is because it is believed that Paul is quoting a statement that the Corinthians wrote in a letter to him. They were asking him about the validity or the, the biblical support or lack of support for this phrase, this belief, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, rather than a command from Paul himself. It is easy to say he's just reiterating what he's said in chapter 6. But there is more support that lends to the fact that he is addressing something that the Corinthians have asked him. And it seems they have been influenced by those who would promote a form of celibacy even within marriage. This would have been a practice in their day and in their place in the Egyptian religions that again were common all around them in ancient Corinth. With the backdrop of the one extreme that we saw last week and the weeks past of rampant and unbridled, unchecked sexual immorality, we have this other extreme that called for total abstinence even in the marriage relationship. In other words, a form of asceticism that called for married couples to live as if they were unmarried in many ways and throughout the history of the church various forms of asceticism, that is the practice of self-denial or even self-mortification for the purpose of attaining some sort of higher spiritual or moral state, have been practiced in a way that is often unbiblical and leads to a formal legalism devoid of true heart motivation. In other words, no matter how much it hurts, it doesn't glorify God. This would be an example here. Paul addresses this wrong view of intimacy in the marriage bed by addressing the specific issue head on and in so doing he gives us biblical parameters for marriage the first way he answers the corinthians question is by laying the basic framework for marriage monogamy one husband or one wife each man is to have one wife each woman is to have one husband And Paul prefaces this statement by implying that this is an aid to the sexual immoralities all around them, the Corinthians, as well as within their own lives. Paul's not saying that, oh, since you're tempted as a single to immorality, just go find another Bible-believing Christian of the opposite sex and marry them. It is way more complicated and involved than that. But that being said, We know that one of the best ways to prevent sexual immorality is not just marriage, but having a healthy and regular sex life within that marriage, with your spouse. And here we get to Paul's point regarding celibacy and why it's not a good option if you're married. Another angle to look at it is this. If you pursue abstinence in marriage then there is a greater temptation for your spouse to find an outlet with somebody else, whether a real person or a person on a screen or in a magazine. We need to be careful. Abstinence in marriage is both impractical, inappropriate, and unbiblical. Unbiblical. Again, we can't pigeonhole Paul's statement here. He's not saying that the only reason to be intimate with your spouse is to avoid an affair or immorality. He is responding to a specific question from the Corinthians. He is also not saying that other aspects of marriage are unimportant or less important. Again, it's the context of immorality here, this whole section. There are other aspects of marriage, such as the joy of companionship, discipling and nurturing children, synergistic ministry that is ministry that is more powerful than if you just did it as two individuals. One plus one equals three. Representing Christ's relationship with the church. He's not saying those things aren't aren't important. Rather, he's honing in on the practice of some of the Corinthian believers to completely dismiss their sexuality in the pursuit of some sort of greater spirituality and Paul is saying that's no spirituality at all. This rule, this command, this idea, this precept of monogamy, and the enjoyment of that relationship is found in Proverbs chapter 5 very clearly. In fact, would you turn there with me? Proverbs chapter 5. We'll look at a few verses here in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5, look at verse 15. Drink water from not a, not some, from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. We know he's talking about the marriage bedroom. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Look at verse 20. Good summary of what we just read. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Monogamy. Now we understand that none of you would pursue polygamy but we're not just talking about wedding vows with more than one person at a time. We're talking about sexual immorality. Remember, we saw recently that when someone joins himself with a prostitute, that the verse quoted was the two become one flesh. It is, though not legally, though not in the eyes of God, though no rings were exchanged, no vows were said, it is a form of marital uniqueness even with someone that is not your spouse and so understand when we talk about monogamy we're not just talking about weddings we're not just talking about formal marriage we're talking about the fact you are to have sex with one person and one person only unless you're not married and that's zero people this is the monogamy precept the second guiding principle for marital intimacy is the mutuality principle. Look at verses 3 and 4. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. We see the equality and mutuality of husband and wife here in the word likewise. So the first mutual principle that we see in verse 3, is that the husband is to fulfill his duty of giving his wife her conjugal rights and the wife his conjugal rights. The word duty or right is an obligation. It is a debt. It is a due. And again, Paul is talking about the bedroom. The whole purpose in this context of having your own spouse is full, mutual intimacy and relations. The Bible is very clear that sexual relations is part of God-ordained marriage and is not just for the purpose of procreation. It is a gift that he has given you to be one with your spouse, to be close to your spouse, to enjoy physically your spouse. And when it comes to sex, it is not just a privilege. It's not just for pleasure. Paul is saying it is a responsibility. The idea of conjugal rights goes back, all the way back to Exodus chapter 21. It is sacred. It is proper. It is obligatory. And what this means is that we are not to demand it, we are not to abuse it, but we're also not to withhold it. The emphasis here is the mutual responsibility of both. To make things even clearer, you cannot take this passage to your spouse. Primarily as a way to say, I know you don't feel like it. I know you're not in the mood, but according to this passage, you owe me. What this passage is saying is your mindset in the bedroom is to approach your spouse and say, I owe you. It doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how upset I am with you. I owe you. Like anything in marriage, when one party is fulfilling their role, it becomes easier for the other party to fulfill their role. We know this in every aspect of marriage, especially the big picture roles of leadership and submission, but it applies to intimacy as well. The more that we strive to fulfill our duty, the more our spouses will not have to demand it, feel unwanted. Be embarrassed or afraid to bring up the topic because uh, I know he had a rough day. I know she's tired. It becomes a sensitive topic sometimes. You feel like they're not attracted to you. You feel like you've done something wrong. And everything seems strange because you're just downright embarrassed and you think, I shouldn't be embarrassed about this. He's my husband. She's my wife. But I want to encourage you, as Paul is saying here, that we need to strive to have biblical, selfless, giving marriages in every aspect. Not just in helping with the house or taking care of the kids or finances and things like that, but this topic as well. You know, what I think has happened is because the world has so grossly twisted this topic that that bleeds into our thinking that we still think it's something vile and disgusting when it glorifies God when done properly. I understand that many of you, singles and married, this becomes a challenge, not because of the hypothetical, because of the reality of what you have engaged in in the past. But there are many things that you used to do and have done, even things that the Bible says you should do, but as a non-Christian, were evil and vile because your heart was not glorifying God. And as much as possible, we need to remove those thoughts to recognize what we did was sin, but to recognize like all of our sin, it is now forgiven. And we live a new day and a new life as a new creature. Things are different. Even if that sin was committed with an individual who is now your spouse. Everything is different now. Back to our text. This concept also speaks to being selfish Obviously, what we're talking about is something that involves physical enjoyment. But like all things in the Christian life, the more you focus on the other person's joy and fulfillment and pleasure, the more you will enjoy it yourself. In any act of service, like helping someone move, driving someone to the airport, And then we kind of squeeze in and try to make it fit. Well, what's in it for me? Well, then we can do this, they'll do this, he'll like me better. And then it's just not enjoyable. But when you're just focused on them, on their comfort, on their convenience, on their happiness, then even when they're ungrateful or don't show their gratitude, you are filled with joy because it is pure, unadulterated worship and service. That same thing is true in the bedroom. Because? When you are just seeking your own, there is simply a biological reality that you will enjoy it, but that's just physical. You can actually bring the emotional and the spiritual joy into your bedroom when doing this properly. And when your mindset is correct, then it's not just about sex, it's about a healthy biblical marriage. It's not just about pleasure, it's about joy. It's not just about convenience, it's about service. We then prioritize it not just because we like it, but because we understand our duty as a spouse. I'm talking about prioritizing all aspects of selflessness in the marriage. You say, i got to be selfless in all aspects of marriage, but this one's included. And so when you take that mindset, we need to so order our lives so that when evening does come and the kids are put to bed, you have so prioritized your day and stress levels so that you aren't too tired and you don't have a headache. We need to prioritize because it's our duty. And when you view sex not just as a gift from God in marriage but also as a responsibility to your spouse, then it won't just be a matter of convenience or when you happen to have the time or the energy. Paul goes on in verse 4 to emphasize that it's actually a matter of biblical authority. Look at verse 4 again. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Listen carefully, friends. Over and over again, the Bible stresses husband and wife are equal. They are equal. Different roles does not mean inequality. And here again, this verse states explicitly that husband and wife are equal in regards to the physical body and intimacy. In this context, in the Greek, authority means authority, to have a right or power over someone else. We know that all Christians are called to be self-sacrificial in all our relationships within marriage and outside of marriage. But in the marriage relationship, there's a unique giving of oneself to the point that each spouse is put under the authority of the other. And this reinforces verse 3. You are to fulfill your duty to your spouse because of his or her authority over your body. In other words, when it comes to intimacy, you have to give up seeking only your own pleasure and seek to please your partner. Can I give you a side note? to the married, but mostly to the unmarried, when you give in to lust and temptation as a single, along with all the other sins that are involved with those things, you are cultivating a mindset of selfishness when it comes to sex that will be harmful to your marriage. It will be an issue that needs to be worked on starting with your wedding night. You are cultivating a me, me, me attitude. And again, the world tells us that There's really no other way. It's sex. It must be selfish. It is all about you. We need to be careful what we cultivate before we're married. You know, in many cultures, including the culture of the church, especially the American church today, sex is viewed as the husband's privilege and the wife's obligation. In other words, something that the husband wants and the wife just does to make him happy and tries to enjoy it if they can. Unfortunately, again, this is based on the typical worldly views and even perhaps a spiritual reality of the vices or sins that men tend to struggle with more than women. But in a biblical marriage, the bedroom is for both. It unifies the two and affirms their mutual belonging to one another. And similarly, the husband is not to and shouldn't have to force the wife to do this, nor can the wife opt out of intimacy, because in both cases, neither body is their own. You know, this context is specifically talking about intimacy. But the principle, just even the wider principle of what marriage is in God's eyes, of biblical love, but even this idea of authority, it is shocking to me what married Christians are motivated by or embarrassed to admit. How come you're just eating a salad? Well, I'm I'm just on a diet trying to lose weight. Uh, Trying to look good for your husband? No, I wouldn't do it for him. Why is that embarrassing? Why is that wrong? Why are we embarrassed to say that I'm changing something, I'm doing something to make my spouse happy? In our culture, it's become something of shameful. No, it's for myself. Just uh, been, been sluggish lately, need more energy. No, my reunion's coming up. It's not for my wife. It's for these people I have had no communication with for 30 years. Why do we do that? Yes, it's for my spouse. I'm doing this for my spouse. And when we come to this passage, this, this reality can only be practiced if you let love control not only your marriage outside of the bedroom, but inside as well. And all that you know about agape love is to apply even to intimacy, selflessness, sacrifice, patience, gentleness, seeking the good of others. From a counseling perspective, as a counselor, biblical counselor, when this area of the marriage is struggling, it's often because I see the husband wants his physical needs met, so much so that he is not willing to meet his wife's emotional needs leading to and in the bedroom. This causes hurt. This causes disagreement that leads to intimacy being withheld, being avoided. And that just makes the issue worse. It's a snowball effect because then there becomes such a long period of time where this is not happening at all that the man's drive gets even stronger and more demanding, less concerned even of what the wife wants, and the situation just explodes. It shouldn't be any surprise that the frequency of sex in a marriage diminishes when there are other seemingly unrelated issues going on in the marriage. A lack of leadership, a lack of submission, nagging, absence, arguing. Because selfishness and a lack of submission to God's will affects everything. It affects everything. Let me put it this way. The refusal to submit to your spouse sexually dishonors God and dishonors the biblical plan for marriage. Guys, be gracious. Shepherd. Again, this isn't, see? Told you. That doesn't help at all. That's not selfless. Well, we've Seeing the monogamy precept, the uh, mutuality principle. Thirdly, the third guiding principle for marital intimacy is the moderation prohibition. He prohibits moderation. Look at verses 5 through 6. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. In case you weren't uh, aware of how important thus far sex in marriage is to God, perhaps the phrases stop depriving and Satan will tempt will bring it to another level. What does he mean depriving? This was a word that was used to speak of illegal theft. And this makes sense when we understand the idea of rights and duty. It means to, to rob, to steal, to defraud. And in this context speaks to the fact that we are stealing from someone what is rightfully theirs. Paul uses this word to emphasize that you are going back on a debt or denying your spouse what is rightfully theirs. Again, he's addressing the wrong practice of the Corinthians who are married but celibate. But Paul does allow for a break from intercourse, but there are three conditions that need to be met. All three must be met. One, it's agreed to by both husband and wife by agreement he says secondly it's for a short time just for a short time and thirdly it's for a spiritual purpose mutual agreement short time spiritual purpose it has to have all three of these for example even if it's for a spiritual purpose it cannot be for too long or if it's for the purpose of prayer and for a short time it can't be forced on your spouse say i'm not gonna do this because i'm committing to prayer but just for a couple of days and understand that when there's a unique allowance of a break from one thing that is commanded by God, in this case, sex and marriage, to pursue another thing that is commanded by God, prayer, we're not talking about a normal daily time of prayer that you have regularly. This would be a, tense, a time of intense prayer, uh, such as during an illness or the illness of a loved one, mourning over the death of someone, dealing with personal sin, things like that. It is for time in a unique situation devoted to prayer. And when all is said and done, Paul says that you must come together again so that you will not be tempted by Satan because of your lack of self-control. And again, we are reminded of the wider context of sexual immorality here. Again, the principle of a healthy sex life with your spouse being a key factor in avoiding immorality is brought out, but with the additional severity indicated by the mention of the tempter himself. Big picture abstinence is simply not normal in biblical marriage and this is why in verse 6 paul says that this practice of temporary abstinence for the sake of prayer is not a command you don't have to do it i am not commanding you that you have to take a break whenever you have a time of intense prayer there's something that needs you to be praying for a while but you can but again fulfill all the parameters including coming
2: back after that short period of time This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit GraceBayArea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's GraceBayArea.org.